This is Oblivion with David Miller and David Overby. Um, this is Oblivion for September 14th, 2020. Uh, this is uh, Dave. This is a somber week. 19th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Um, how did you spend your time reflecting? Well, I think that uh, an interesting thing about this year's 9-11 is that, you know, finally, mercifully, it, it became kind of meaningless. Like with everything going on today, mm-hmm. um, it was like, who cares? I didn't, it was really the first time since September 11th, 2001, that the the date didn't really have any kind of uh, impact. And uh, there, there's that old saying, you know, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. But I think you can also say that, you know, those who can't let go of something that happened, Right, know, right. are doomed to just, you know, relive something over and over. And I think the country has to find a way to get over 9-11, if for no other reason, because it's obviously facing other crises that in, it, in real time in the present are, are causing a great deal of death and harm and suffering. And I think to a great extent, people did move on, but like... Um, it constantly being being re-evoked as some rallying cry to uh, be a booster for the empire, right? Uh, sure. Has forced it on, you know, propaganda has forced it on people to remember it. Remember, you know, remember that. So, uh, yeah, so exactly the point is that there's so much else that's so... So many more crises that are coming down now, right now, that uh, it's been tapped down. Uh, well, also just that it's it's uh, morbid and uh, miserable just to keep talking about it and thinking about it. I mean, the whole point of making a big deal of it in the first place was just so that we could go kill people and and feel like we had our excuse to do it. I'm like, I've, I've always wanted to kill my neighbor, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> but, and now that I know that they worship the devil and... Uh, or even uh, now that I uh, I went by there and I could smell uh, pot coming out of their <laughs> window, now it's okay for me to do that. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so... I. I was tying in one of our other topics, the Assange hearing that's going on this week, uh, to that, and that, of course, the the main story that came from WikiLeaks that was, like allege, allegedly, um, uh, I mean, she, I guess, admitted it, but uh, that uh, Chelsea Manning uh, leaked the uh, Iraq logs, war logs. Uh, I think first is something somebody else where they published the whole thing, but WikiLeaks got a hold of it too. I, I believe that's part of the story. Uh, they're the ones that are really known for releasing it, uh, mainly because they were more successful in broadcasting it. Uh, 
but of course that was the Iraq war logs, which you know, and something else thanks to 9-11, uh, uh, forgiving us, uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, so yeah, they, what the, what they've been doing with him for the last 10 years, I guess, is this kind of atrocity. Um, you know, and it was, of course, it went really through the roof after uh, the last election, uh, 2015, where um, WikiLeaks released the um, stolen, quote, stolen email uh, from the DNC that uh, totally made them look bad. And, uh, of course, at that point, the establishment uh, powers that be were totally against them and wanted to kill him. And actually, I think Hillary joked about killing him. Uh, about Bernie Sanders or Assange? Killing Assange, yeah. And For, re- uh, for releasing the DNC emails. Yeah, right. But weren't those the emails that were basically saying, we hate Bernie Sanders and we have to make sure that Hillary Clinton is the nominee? Yeah, among many other things. I mean, it could it revealed all sorts of corruptions and the. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just showed many corrupting things, and especially yeah, this integrated campaign against uh, Bernie that the DNC was carrying out in behalf of Hillary. Um, and he was also, uh, you know, trolling them at the same time. Um, because, I mean, rightfully so, Assange hated Hillary. Hillary had, uh, of course, not only just an <clears throat> insane warmonger uh, and uh, just an all-around psychopath, uh, deserves ire, but also um, she explicitly has been totally against Assange and Snowden and all the rest, and, you know, all of them she wants to have hanged or, you know, whatever, uh, or droned or <clears throat> whatever her preference of cruelty is. Um, so, you know, then, you know, the, to kind of go back earlier in the story of Assange being uh, persecuted, he was initially forced into... Um, he was under house arrest under dubious uh, circumstances. There was these uh, sex um, uh, allegations against them from Sweden. Uh, I mean, it turns out basically what it was, if it was anything, it was a couple women came forward out in Sweden. They're kind of strict. Who knows how it actually turns out in practice but you know for instance you know you have to give consent to for everything you know so if you you know have sex with somebody without a condom which was apparently the charge of this quote assault you know was that he had sex with one woman without a condom now another one she alleged that he had sex with her in her sleep so you know that's getting a little more assaulty. 
But of course, in the U.S., neither one of these would even get past. You know, I mean, maybe they well, should have it on a college campus. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, maybe now. Who knows? Right. Uh, I mean, since Obama and Joe Biden did away with due process on on college campuses, uh, with the yeah, threat yeah. of taking away uh, Title IX funding, right? If if universities didn't didn't do that, yeah. You won't be charged uh, with a crime, but you might get booted out of your school. Right. No, you also get charged with a crime. Really? Yeah. Um, so anyway, the Sweden thing was more or less trumped up. You know, they might have had a modicum of whatever, but you knew it was bullshit when, you know, multiple times he requested to be interviewed by Sweden and they always refused, right? Right. And um, and then he was put under house arrest, even though, you know, he was pretty much cooperating with the whole thing. Uh, he was put under house arrest. And then when it was pretty clear that, you know, the whole thing was to have him eventually extradited, um, uh, he went to the Ecuadorian embassy. Well, of course, he was there for whatever, seven, eight years, something like that. Um, you know, stuck in a pretty bad situation. I mean, it was a small apartment, you know, a couple small rooms in the Ecuadorian, the already small Ecuadorian embassy in London. He was, and and he couldn't leave, and he couldn't get medical attention. Apparently, he needed, like, hospital attention for uh, some of his ailments. Um, could never get that. Um and then we know now from recent reporting from uh, the Grave Zone, Max Blumenthal, that the uh, Ecuadorian embassy had contracted out to a Spanish firm for security. Well, the Spanish firm got turned into a U.S. armed spy group. So they were the security in the Ecuadorian embassy, and they were directly spying uh to the nth degree on Assange, you know, put cameras everywhere. They would like steal stuff, steal documents. Um, you know, he has a new family. Uh, you know, he, uh, his partner, uh, he has two children with her now and they were trying to like, they tried to steal a diaper, <laughs> but yeah. Um, even though they tried to do that, they later found out that, you know, a baby shit doesn't get DNA. <laughs> you just, I was just going to make a joke about <laughs> DNA. Is that really what they were doing? Yeah, yeah. They were trying to confirm whether or not the children were his. And, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it's, they were stealing stuff from all the journalists that showed up there. And, you know, Pam, uh, Pam Anderson, you know, famously visited them and, and who knows, maybe fucked him there. And, uh, you know, they at the Baywatch. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, she's now an animal rights activist. Anyway, she was a supporter of Assange, but, uh, they stole her information when she was there and hacked into her account and, and all these journals were hacked and, um, from it, many of which well, it's a good I, thing. The Russians no, don't have any influence yeah. over and, our government and, or elections and to make a total, yeah. to make a total insult. I don't doubt any of these journalists who got their shit stolen 
say that, or saying anything about it currently now. So that's where we are now. They, um, after all that, and then finally there was a change in the Ecuadorian presidency to a, uh, you know, empire butt plug president. Um, and they, you know, they left the, uh, what, are, what do they call the, if you're a cop and, and, uh, UK and escaping right now. Anyway, Bobby, the Bobby, yeah, let the Bobbies in. Of course they didn't have, <laughs> that would have been really cool if they'd had the big hats on and they drug Sanja out, but you know, they just, they drug him out. And now that now he's been in, in being tortured, you know, he's been in solitary five for, you know, first it was just straight up solitary confinement. And then now it's COVID quote COVID, you know, Solitary confinement for his own health, right? So you know they're totally tortured. Wouldn't want anything bad to happen to the poor guy. Yeah, yeah, and of course, totally neglecting him as far as um, his health care. Still, I haven't been to a hospital, um, and uh, he hasn't. Before this hearing that started this last week, he hadn't seen his lawyers in six months. Get that? Six months, like the biggest case in the world. You know, uh, right? And uh, I mean, you can already see what's going to happen. I mean, it's, 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 he's got. They'll uh, get him for what? Espionage and treason. Well, that's yeah, that's what he's charged with. With it's under the Espionage Act from World War One, but it's the first time. The big story is that it's the first time it's been used bad enough to use it for anything. The first time it's been used for uh, publishers. You know, he was the publisher of the stuff. So now it'll be illegal, you know, and I don't see how he's going to get out of it because, I mean, obviously, when these freaks decide that, you know, who cares about the Constitution or laws, they're going to fucking put them down. So that's where we're at. And that's well, interestingly, I, I the, the first time in a while that I saw... A, a good news segment on Assange was on Fox News just a couple of nights ago. And the only reason I happened to see it is I was turning the channels and Fox News was interviewing Oliver Stone. And Oliver yeah. Stone, as you know, is a famous American film director, uh, but also served in Vietnam. And I think among other of his uh, credits, Stone directed the movie Platoon uh, with Charlie Sheen, the son of Martin Sheen, who, of course, is the lead in Apocalypse Now, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. So I, it wasn't like, oh, I've, I've got to watch Fox News. <laughs> um, but There's when your I little disclaimer. The- you, it's all right if you watch Fox News. Eh? <laughs> well... Anyway, Even if yeah. I did, I mean, how is that any worse than watching yeah. MSNBC well, or the uh, or the right wing propagandist Anderson Cooper on on CNN? Anyway, Oliver Stone was on there, and uh, the the header at the bottom of the screen was basically talking about. Uh, you know, Stone doesn't trust, you know, the, the government when it comes to, you know, giving information about wars. 
so I thought, well, I, you know, this is far more interesting than um, MSNBC and CNN, which, you know, cover the same two or three stories 24 hours a day for, you know, ever since Trump has been uh, elected. And, and Stone was saying uh, that the government has always lied to the American people, uh, specifically when it comes to the wars that it's been fighting. And, and he mentioned Vietnam, saying, I, I know that when we were in Vietnam, the government was always misleading the American people, telling them that we were winning the war, that it was a just cause, that there was, a real, there was actually a good reason for us to be over there. And of course, I think that that ties directly uh, back into 9-11, because 9-11 was uh, the reason for getting into the Iraq war and the government lying to the American people about weapons of mass destruction and that Saddam Hussein was uh, plotting an attack against America and that we were going to keep having more 9-11s unless we had a war in Iraq. And of course, this is after we had already started a war with Afghanistan, which, by the way, is still going on. And it's never talked about. Never talked about. I mean, occasionally, yes, there's uh, mention of these talks with the Taliban of drawing down troops, finally bringing it into the war. But it's just smattered and here and there. There's never any consistent coverage of it. There certainly is never any criticism of it. The only criticism of the Afghanistan war that, that I heard was, I believe, in December, right before, of course, the pandemic started. And it was, it was one of the few good pieces of actual journalism that I've seen from MSNBC, and it was done by Katie Turner, in which uh, she was interviewing, and this is basically someone who I would say is, is similar to, to Assange, and I can't remember his name, but it's, it's uh, someone who used to be in the army and uh, had a document that, that showed that members of both political parties, both the Republicans and the Democrats, have known since the time the Afghanistan war was started that uh, the objectives were not achievable in that war. They knew that there was going to be no way that they could get rid of, of the Taliban, that they could get rid of, of the warlords who were behind the organization of, of terrorism and the training of terrorists so that they could uh, attack the United States. Both parties knew that there was no way that the Afghanistan war could be won. So, of course, that's consistent with what Stone has been saying, that uh, when it comes to, to war, among other things, that the, the American government always lies to the American people, that the, both in terms of the, the reasons for going to war, that there's an actual legitimate reason to be uh, starting a war and about how the war is going. And then to go back to the Iraq war, uh, we're both old enough to remember what was happening there. The whole idea of mission accomplished in you know May of 2003, only to be followed by a power vacuum, and uh, then 
uh, sectarian fighting and then an insurgency and then a surge and then Obama uh, officially declaring an end to the war. But that only meant then the emergence of ISIS. And uh, I don't know that there's any reason to think that there still isn't uh, danger and instability in, in Iraq. I don't know why there, there wouldn't be. I would imagine that we still have American troops uh, in, in Iraq. But I mean, that's a perfect example of both. We have to have a war because they have these weapons of mass destruction. Well, that's a lie. And the war is going well. It's going so well that we've actually accomplished our mission. We got in there in two months. We got Saddam Hussein out. We've eliminated the terrorist threat. And now we're going to put up our own democratic government in Iraq. And everybody's going to love it. And that it's going to be so great that democracy is just going to spread all throughout the Middle East. And these thousands of years of uh, Islamic fundamentalist uh, dictatorships, they will all immediately fall because everyone will see how great uh, Iraq, Iraq's democracy is, and they'll all want it. It's kind of like if you just bring a Starbucks to your town, everyone will see how great it is, and they'll all want to have Starbucks. So, uh, but, but certainly I've never seen anything uh, in, akin to the sort of um, bold and uh, – raw honesty and and criticism and defiance of the government that I saw from Oliver Stone on that interview on Fox News. Now, I'm sure the main reason that Fox had Oliver Stone on was so they can perpetuate the image of, you know, liberals to their audience as a bunch of weirdo kooks. Or it, it may be just that, you know, oh, I know who Oliver Stone is, movie director, so I'll watch this segment. Well, and there's another element there. You know, he was like, um, you know, he had this thing a year or two ago where he was all, all like pro-Putin and he had a, uh, Oliver Stone had a documentary where he went and interviewed Putin and it was a, it was a gushing, like, it was embarrassing. I thought it was terrible myself, but... Uh, you know, how wonderful Putin is and all this. So, of course, he's, you know, persona non grata in MSNBC land, but, you know, land of the Russia gate that never dies. Uh, so that's part of the reason he's forbidden in MSNBC, and they, of course, know that. And, of course, it's a big, uh, now he's the he's buddy-buddy with, you know, that's what a lot of these figures that have been pushed out of, MSNBC circle will we'll say like, well, fuck it. I'll at least I'll go on Fox. At least I can talk there. Yeah, but I mean, I can't think of anything more dictatorship and um, totally, uh, basically censorship when you start saying, well, since this person holds a certain view, we'll just ignore them. We won't allow them to be on the airwaves, no matter what it is that they're saying. So, um, the, but just in case I didn't uh, emphasize this, uh, Oliver Stone specifically mentioned Assange, uh, saying that that uh, Oliver Stone said that Oliver Stone thinks that Assange is a hero uh, because since our government is always lying to the American people about these wars, 
not just the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, but the Vietnam War, um, that we have to have people like Assange who break the the rules in order to get the truth out. Right. And and I have to say, I mean, I'm I'm guessing Im- implicitly that you you David are um, maybe you're not necessarily a fan of of Assange, but in this particular case you're you're on his side with regard to the need for the truth to be out and the fact that the these all these governments are treating him so uh, uh harshly and punitively right one one of the big problems with the whole coverage of the Assange thing for the last 10 years and WikiLeaks by association is that it's always brought up what a jerk he is and you know not a nice guy and this is and you know and imply also of course they can say he's a rapist too right uh, oh sure and Especially uh, since the the pussy hat campaign after <laughs> hillary blew the election to trump yeah and he was involved exactly. with all, he was involved with that directly so and, and you know without a doubt so yeah he's just totally uh uh smeared that way and of course they completely ignore what he actually have done and have done uh, um, well they can just point to that and ignore all the other things but uh, it's just incredible because it shows you the depths of our the horrors of the right-wing fascist side of the society is that you know uh, these are journalists and they're like egging on and cheering a fellow journalist publisher being just tortured and put in prison for you know the rest of his life, which well is likely what's going to happen. Uh, right, I and mean, it would basically be like doing the same thing to Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, yeah, right. Because it's, it's yeah. a similar. I mean, the official well, story is. So yeah, let's let's transition into that. That's a great transition into one of our other topics: the Woodward bombshell. In quotes. And uh, uh, for those who don't know about it, it was Bob Woodward, the famed uh, Watergate. Uh, uh, all the president's men. All the president's men uh, figure. Uh, of course, he is in person much more boring, and and <laughs> his work is breaking kind of, breaking new ground by saying that that Donald Trump is bad. Yeah, he he. Uh, there was a leak from some of his quote, and that's another in, in big scare quotes leak uh, of some of his recordings that he personally made with Donald Trump in the White House uh, when he was interviewing him. Uh, and so it was released. You know, he talked about, and 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 actually, it didn't seem so bad to me. Really, um, <clears throat> he was like telling. He I guess recently gotten the briefing, uh, classified briefing on the seriousness of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, which was just really getting going at that point, and uh, related how it was bleak and pretty bleak, and it was, <clears throat> he, he clearly understood, he, he, yeah, he clearly understood the briefing, and was like, <laughs> you know. Wasn't like he was just making up shit during the day. You know, it was. 
very contagious. And then he said that, well, we're, you know, I'm going to try to downplay it. And his implication was for a, a, you know, a rational reason not cause panic was basically what he was implying. But, you know, it was, of course, it's election season. The whole thing is to try to, you know, gotcha uh, against Trump. And, you know, it doesn't the best look in the world. Uh, but then again, it was, but, you know, because basically soon afterwards, uh, he was like doing all this trolling, Democrat, liberal trolling, where he was saying it was Democrat disease and, you know, his campaign shift, right? So there was what he knew in his campaign shift were at odds, and it's true, he should have acted like fucking right away, right then, on the whole thing. And uh, I think that is a very valid criticism. Um, but one criticism that uh, <clears throat> uh, um, I think that isn't being emphasized is that, of course, he wasn't the only one that saw the, this early February uh, dossier on uh, intelligence report on the COVID. It was pretty much the whole leadership of uh, the legislative branch. So, yeah, Including so, Democrats. Oh, yeah, yeah. All, all the leaders saw this. I'm not sure to, you know, maybe everybody else did too. I'm not I'm not really sure to what extent it was, but it was quite a few of them. Um, and, uh, and the first time I had heard about this report was when it came out soon afterwards through uh, Senate re- reporting of their, you know, they have to report their finances and their trades to a certain extent uh, as far as stocks and bonds and such. And at least eight senators uh, sold a bunch of stocks right after they saw this report in early February. And um, so they knew about it. And, um, you know, where was their, I mean, why didn't they, it, it seems to me if the Democrats had really been responsible, if they had seen the same thing, I mean, clearly Trump saw that it was pretty goddamn bad and serious situation. If all these other, especially Democrats, or even Republicans saw this, why didn't they see it as such a threat? And, you know, why did they keep their fucking mouth shut for, you know, for weeks? It wasn't until March that really that they started, you know, the government really started piping up about it like it was right. really, really bad. You know, they could have started fucking right then or early February getting the, you know, and I'm sure that they're excuses are that, oh, we didn't want to, kind of the same thing Trump was saying. We don't want to spread panic. We didn't want to, you know. Of course, they're all, they're all lying. I mean, I think yeah. about the, uh, the, the mayor of New Orleans who had the same information, went ahead and had Mardi Gras uh, in late February. Of course, the motivation doesn't have anything to do with panic. It's, just, it's always about money because 
if you were to be honest about the threat of the coronavirus and then implement the uh, protocols to uh, stop the spread of a deadly pandemic, it is going to shut down your economy. Yeah. And well, yeah. I mean, it honestly is. Well, and it's a. I mean, it's an honest calculation that people. I can. You know, that is an understandable situation because you. You know, what if you advocate for everything being shut down, shut down, and then it was a dud like um, SARS was, right? So. Well, better safe than than sorry. Right, but the. Yeah, but. You know, I don't, didn't even think about this very much until you just said that. The kind of a similar station, situation happened with SARS, where, you know, there was like, oh, this is going to be big. Um, and it turned out to be a dud. Uh, right. You know, so I, it, you know, to give them a little bit of due that situations like that, that might have prevented them from. Um, well, I but, guess my but, only counter to to that point would be yeah. uh, the, the reason I, I don't really buy into the excuse that, well, I didn't want to create a panic, is that uh, still to this day, six months later, uh, Trump basically is taking the same stance. But then again, so, so is everyone else. Um, now that we have something like 190,000 dead and we know that it really is uh, deadly and and very serious. Uh, still, it is being downplayed. I mean, uh, one good way to look at this is with the spread of COVID nineteen on college campuses. There have been something like sixty one thousand new cases of infection across college campuses, but still, I don't hear anyone raising any objections or uh, sounding any alarm bells like you you've got to you've got to stop having these in-person classes you should definitely be getting uh the faculty the who who are older people off of the campuses uh and you should basically at this point be turning your your campuses where the students should not have been brought back in the first place into into uh, uh, quarantine places. Of course, even that strategy is fraught with the question of you can't just leave these people on campus forever. And all of the experts say that the fall and winter is going to be that the, the worst is, is yet to come. And the numbers all support that. Um, so are you just going to leave them there forever? Eventually, they are going to have to leave. In addition to the fact that uh, you can't, only in the abstract can you think of a college campus as being a, a world unto itself. I mean, there's going to be some interaction and crossover between these campuses and the local communities. Uh, I believe that the entire Michigan State campus in uh, East Lansing, Michigan, has been quarantined because the infection is spreading there. And uh, the lo- the public health department is saying um, that um, that they're that they're uh, very concerned that uh, unchecked transmission represents a uh, threat to the 
health and safety of the of the population of uh, of uh, of uh, Ingham County, Michigan, which is where East Lansing is. And and that's what I see all over uh, social media. All the responses to the rise in cases on college campuses is, oh well, it doesn't matter because they're younger and young people don't get sick, and many of them are asymptomatic, and it's totally unfair to them not to have college. And you know, what about their mental health? What about their mental health? Like mental health has ever mattered in the United States. I mean, no one cares about mental health. Um, and, uh, but you still have, uh, you still have some hospitalizations, but of course the hospitalizations are never, the number is never high enough that it actually matters. So you can just have more and more spreading of this virus on, on college campuses and it still doesn't matter. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that the, that Trump's uh, excuse for downplaying the, the coronavirus is that he just didn't uh, he didn't want to deal with it and I think that he knew that what it was going to uh, necessitate in order to uh, deal with it uh, would would be to basically put lockdown measures in place and effectively shut down the economy and those are unpopular uh moves or strategies especially in the united states but i think that your point is very much correct when you say that it was hardly just donald trump who was taking that reaction and the first person that comes to mind is andrew cuomo of new york who when uh, uh cases were first uh, uh spiking in New Rochelle, uh, New York, which is just outside of New, of, of New York City. That was the first place in the United States, this is back in March, where you saw just a major outbreak occurring. And instead of right then and there shutting down the transit in between New Rochelle, New York, and New York City, uh, Cuomo spent... Uh, the better part of at least a week saying, well, we can't shut things down because, you know, that is, there are too many problems and New Yorkers are good at getting around rules. And they'll always say, I'm going to stay with my cousin in Westchester, or I've got, uh, you know, my mother-in-law lives in Queens. And so they'll always be able to you know, move around instead of doing what he should have done, which was just to immediately to have locked things down. Um, and then, of course, my take on it is, is I think America's um, completely um, inept response to the coronavirus mainly has to do with status in that Americans are never going to let scientists and brainy people, intellectual types, uh, elevate in their status. And, and basically be the ones who are at the top of the hierarchy. Just oh, something just cut out. You there? You should be listening to the public health experts. And Americans are not going to do that. It's always going to be the business person 
and the the religious people and of course religious people and and priests like these evangelical super church uh celebrities are also are also just business people so i mean i agree i agree with you when you say that the uh it is hardly just trump that's to blame for the way that he reacted to the virus but i don't really agree that his that he had this sincere um interest of that he didn't want to cause a panic um because i you know a panic has started anyway i mean people were were panicking big time well i i'd have to actually i'd have to go back that was kind of my interpolation of his gist i don't know if he really went that far in that uh he didn't say panic or whatever but uh but yeah you're right it's a <clears throat> Um, yeah, there's no excuse. I mean, I guess the overall point here is that uh, all side, quote sides, meaning the power centers, are the ones to blame for the poor and, and still ongoingly poor response to the whole situation. Uh, right. I mean, just to bring it back to the college campuses, um, I, I would imagine that most of these uh, university presidents and the top people in the administrations and and certainly the the local health care experts in these communities a lot of them are Democrats I mean because universities are notorious for being quote liberal right but I mean even if you want to argue that point it's still not Donald Trump that's running every single institution in the United States. And, you know, nobody is forcing any of these colleges to, uh, to open up a campus or to have in-person classes for the fall. I mean, your, your local uh, school boards that are deciding to bring high school and middle school and grade school students back to school for in-person classes. Um, those are not all run by Donald Trump. So it's, it's pervasive across the society that uh, we're just going to ignore this. And I think that, to be even more blunt, that no one really cares about how many people die from this. I mean, that, that's another just kind of weird and sadistic characteristic of, of Americans is, you know, dying and suffering and being miserable is is a is a major part of of life uh and it, it kind of ties back into the arguments for why you've got to have high school and college because those are the best times of your life you get to actually enjoy life when you're 17 18 years old and then you know do some uh illegal underage drinking and be a real rebel and maybe get an earring in your in your left ear if you're a guy um, uh, and but then but better it. not better not put it in the wrong goddamn ear. And th- and then that's it, right? Because because after that, it's um um you're you're supposed to just work all the time and be under stress. Uh, and I I guess that might be a good time to transition to uh, uh, vacations, which uh, with the other things we have to talk about, I, there's not that much to say about it, but um. One article that that I uh, read over the past week, uh, and I already knew this, but hadn't thought about it in in some time, is 
The United States is the only country in the world where there isn't any guaranteed paid vacation time. None. Like, I mean, Europe is notorious for uh, everyone gets at least a month of vacation, right? I mean, I think France is famous for basically shutting down during the month of August, right? Everybody said, well, it's August, mm-hmm. we're not working. Yep. Uh, the, the Swiss, like every three weeks, take a, a two-week vacation. Um, and, and so that's an example of what I'm talking about. Like these other countries, people don't think that life is just supposed to be completely miserable from the time that you're you know, 22 years old until you get to the uh, your golden years of your late 60s when you can retire and start enjoying life again. And of course, you know, by then you're so old that you're spending all of your time and money you know, going to the doctor. <laughs> and you've and you've been so beaten down and, you know, uh, into being right, into I mean, the track of the workhorse, you, you're not going to know how to have fun anyway. So. Right. You're saturated with cortisol. You know, your brain's been wired only to worry and think about money and all this other stuff. And you, I mean, all work and no play makes, you know, Jack a dull boy. How are you going to be miserable for the, not just 40 years of your life, but the prime of your life? I mean, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm so uh, happy and and actually you know me of all people relatively mentally healthy in this population is i'm glad that i i wasn't wasting any more of the prime of my life doing something that i i couldn't stand uh doing which was uh teaching is just an obsolete worthless profession in this culture but but as i as i continue to talk about this I, i really do think that the main reason for why the coronavirus was downplayed or and that everyone from local health officials to superintendents to uh, mayors governors and the the presidents of universities that they, they have all responded to the pandemic the way that they have is they really believe that that life is supposed to be drudgery and misery uh, and of course, that's that's pretty consistent with uh, a fundamentalist uh, Christian view, right? I mean, God is up there judging us, and the wrath of God is is always beaming down on top of us, and we're not supposed to complain about it. We're supposed to be well mannered and well behaved, get up and do our work, not enjoy ourselves, maybe have some eggnog on Christmas Eve. That's okay. Uh, you know, hot dog and some beers on 4th of July. But other than that, I mean, it's you're supposed to be working. And the weekend is the time that you get your errands done. You get your laundry done. You mow the lawn. Uh, you do your grocery shopping and get socked up for the week. And then after you die, if status Christ thinks that you <laughs> did a good job, then you get to enjoy yourself, like after you're dead. And that's literally what happens in real life in the United States when, I mean, like if there's going to be a time of your life when you were really going to enjoy yourself and do what you wanted to do, why not do that during the prime of your life? When, I mean, you're not just some overgrown adolescent, which is all a college student is, you're actually an adult, but you're still young enough 
and your brain is still active enough that you can, you know, be doing things that you enjoy, like being an artist and traveling and doing a lot of hiking and immersing yourself in nature. And yeah, I guess apparently the only time you can uh, go on vacation is after you die, or death is right. the time you go on vacation. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, but just that I think that consistent with American Christianity, that there's always supposed to be spread, stress, suffering. You're not supposed to enjoy life. And so I think that's been the biggest belief system uh, behind America's response to the pandemic. Uh, well, I mean, of course, we should have a lot of people dying. And of course, not to go out of our way to help people. And I mean, on top of that, you could you could add to the economic suffering of, since we do have to lock down the economy or, you know, reduce businesses to 50% capacity, you know, we're not going to give people any money. You might get, what, the, the $1,200? Have, have you gotten that yet? Or? So we got a letter saying that um, I, I should get it. <laughs> of course, I had to spend... Uh, yeah. This morning, I was reading a piece from a, a doctor in uh, in one of these uh, was was responding to all of these uh, college students. I think in Ohio, they had to uh, they actually arrested uh, people for having a a COVID party where like everybody who was living in a house <laughs> had had uh, COVID-19, and so they decided to have a party, right? They brought, they brought, uh, they had people come over. And the are, are, you, said, are you saying they were actually symptomatic of COVID? Or? Well, no. Or I mean, they, that's one they of the had it in the past. No, they, they, they are currently supposed to be quarantining. Oh, I see. They were quarantined. Okay. They, they're infected, yeah. right? right? And they decided yeah. to have a party to bring people over. <laughs> And uh, I mean, I just can't think of anything that's just more blatantly anti-science, which is well, you know, what I'm talking about. Like we, you know, the, the geeks and the nerds will always be at the bottom of the hierarchy and, and they're there to be, you know, beaten up and ignored no matter what. And we're not going to listen to them. This, this is, you know, if you're so weak that you can't handle a little COVID, then you might as well just go on and go on the permanent vacation. Yeah. Right. And, um, but this, uh, this one doctor said, you know, if these people could have actually seen the, the ICUs and the emergency rooms in New York, you know, they wouldn't be doing this. And it's like, well, who didn't see these things? I mean, for a month, you, there was regular coverage of, the the bodies being put in these <laughs> ice trucks and the the emergency rooms and the ICUs. It was in New York. It was in Italy. And we have the internet. I mean, the whole point of the internet is that it's supposed to give you 
easy access to this information. And I just can't imagine at this point that there's anybody in the country that doesn't know that there's a pandemic. I don't see how you could possibly not know that. So there has to be some, there has to be some other explanation for people's behavior other than just whether they are informed or not. They, they obviously just don't care. Uh, the image of mass graves uh, transitions well into uh, another apocalyptic uh, subject, the uh, climate the fires. fires. Climate fires. Um, yeah, the images, of course, are just amazing. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not there. Uh, uh, you know, there's that great picture of, like, the bridge going over to the hills across the water, and the entire hillside is aflame, a red glow. Yeah. Skies are, are like, reddish-orange. <laughs> Classic man. Uh, so like yeah, a, and, a and, and monk painting, right? And concomitant is that the right word? With with it is the um, high temperatures. You know, 120 degrees in L.A. parts of L.A. Uh, of course, um, Americans will just say, "Well, it's you know, it gets hot in summer." Uh, what? Newsflash, it gets it gets hot in summer. Wow. And 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 anyway, it was Antifa that started them all, so Right, of course. <laughs> and that like was like all of these liberal mayors in, in Oregon wanted to be mayor of a town so that the town would burn down. There were some so journalists can't be mayor anymore. Like why would you want to be mayor so that you could like if their town burns down, you can't be mayor anymore. But Apparently, the uh, there were some journalists that were going to cover the fire and some backcountry area, and there was like a posse that like stopped them and turned them around, you know, because they suspected they were Antifa <laughs> at gunpoint. Uh, so, you know, along with the, as you expect during the end times, there's just uh, these crazy reactions that people are, uh, which is, I guess, kind of uh, ties in with, you know, the, your puzzlement at the strange behavior of the people in regards to the pandemic. Um, you know, it's these end times living in denial and getting caught up in paranoia and uh, well, I mean, I would go even further than that, and I would say actually enjoying the the destruction and the, the, the misery and the suffering of other people, which I think is the only, at this point, plausible explanation for why America still doesn't want to get serious about getting the pandemic under control. The Punisher. But I think one way to tie all the numbers to, to all of uh, one way to tie all of these stories together is to look at, at numbers. So I'm going to give you three numbers and you tell me, Dave, like what order they should come in. All right. Okay. Let me write this down. Okay. 
There's three of them, so okay. it won't be that hard. Uh, three, three numbers? <laughs> so the first number is 3,000. Okay. The next number is 35. Mm. And the next number is 190,000. Okay. Now you tell me what order those numbers go in. Well, uh, I guess it all depends on what you mean by order. Uh, uh, well, what's the highest? Uh, give me, you know, highest to lowest. <laughs> well, uh, 190,000. Hi. Wrong. <laughs> God damn it. Wrong. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you're an overeducated uh, liberal. The the highest number is three thousand, and the uh, second it's, highest... it's even it's even worse if you're a fucking anarchist, man. Right, because then you you it's bad being a liberal. <laughs> numbers. The whole idea of numbers is just an authoritarian. Yeah, you cannot have hierarchies and numbers, so there is no higher number. So that's your answer. Because numbers are all about uh, money anyway. But uh, no, the, the highest number is 3,000 because that's the number of people who died on 9-11. Oh, okay. Oh, right. all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 190,000 is the lowest number because that's the number who have died in the pandemic, and that doesn't matter. And then the other number, 35, is the number who, at least officially, last I checked, who have died in these wildfires. Um, and that number also doesn't really matter. Because, I mean, if 190,000 doesn't matter, then <laughs> how can 30 possibly matter or 35? What's the difference? Um, so the way I look at it is that it's all about the, the action that's taken in response to the number that have died. And the reason that 3,000 is higher than 190,000 is that what was the, the reaction to the 3,000 people dying on 9-11? Well, we got to start not one, but two wars. And, and America probably, was hot. And killed, you know, probably getting close to 2 million people. Uh, so there's another right. number for you. Right. So of course, of course, that's even a lower number than the 190,000, right? Because at least the 190,000 right, exactly. were Americans, but the 2 million, well, you know. Well, it's a good thing that they were killed because collateral damage, right? Collateral and, uh, damage. It's so you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, we torture. Well, but it's both. part of that you know psychopathic view of of the world that there must be this constant dark cloud hanging over everything and you know, people suffering and dying. That's just that's just <clears throat> part of life. I was just curious. Uh, I was thinking, um, you know, you watch you know, much more TV than me. Uh, tell me what you've seen as far as ads. Uh, have there been many ads, political ads, like presidential and or otherwise? Uh, the the main ones that I've seen around here have been the McConnell and Amy McGrath ads, and those mm -hmm. are pretty much just repetitive at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, that, the McGrath ads are, uh, are typical Republican ads where it's, you know, Fighter pilot, military, 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 church, church, <laughs> wedding, church, children, family, church, family, church, military, military. 
Uh, and by the way, did you know that Amy McGrath used to be a Marine fighter pilot? <laughs> you know, I, I had I heard something about that. That's interesting. And of course, Mitch McConnell has uh, slandered McGrath because of her comments that when you know Donald Trump got elected, McGrath apparently said that she it was like uh, 9/11 all over again. She had that same feeling. Well, and of course, McConnell is horrible, but this is typical American politics is McConnell is horrible, but then the person that is supposed to be the alternative is is nearly equally as repugnant in terms of what she stands for and how she presents herself. Yeah, I saw, uh, I think I saw two different ones. I saw one that was a McConnell one that said that she was too liberal for Kentucky and, you know, paying her as a Antifa, I guess. Uh, left winger. A left winger. And Bernie, angry Bernie Sanders. And, <laughs> Looming in and, the background. Uh, and hair salon uh, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and uh, there was another one that was like, uh, surely this wasn't on the actual TV, uh, YouTube ad, but it was... Um, you know, basically, it was that she supported abortion a day after <laughs> birth. birth. Uh, post-birth <laughs> abortion. Now, we beat them to this long ago with our... Uh, the clinic and uh, the our clinic. baby. <laughs> Do you still have those? I think they're around here somewhere on a tape. Man, it would be great if you could find those and and we could play mm-hmm. them on the our one of our <laughs> podcasts coming mm-hmm. soon. Have an entertainment section. Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, so um, yeah, so apparently, not only was she a fire pilot, but she was an abortionist who uh, would like the second. We know what she- <laughs> the second that the head came out of the vagina. Uh, she had a little right. guillotine, a little guillotine. <laughs> they would chop its head off right there. <laughs> Don't wouldn't even let it get all the way out, man. Right, so it's still technically a baby as long as you know part of it's still <laughs> in the mother's body. <laughs> Has to be at least fifty percent sticking out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, um, you know, apparently there are, um, you know, wacko abortion, anti-abortion people like that in Kentucky. But I kind of doubt it's that many. And you'd think that if the Democrats had any seriousness in putting up a campaign, that they could figure out a way to counter this stuff, right? Um, you know, I don't think that these psycho-abortion people are like the mainstream of uh, society, right? Uh, well, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I think that uh, in the last uh, 20 years, I mean, since the turn of the millennium, I really think that America has uh, polarized. And I think it was already a very conservative country, but yeah. I, there are a few places, mainly out west, that have definitely become uh, progressive. I mean, even somebody as cynical and negative as I am would, would acknowledge that. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But the problem is, is that it's, is, is definitely a mischaracterization to say that that has happened to the country as a whole. I mean, the country as a whole has definitely gone backward. And most of the country has become incredibly conservative. Because, uh, say, in the 1990s, for example, I don't think that Kentucky was, was ever uh, anything close to being a liberal place. Yeah. But during the during the 90s, and of course, uh, we were both living in, in Louisville uh, for for much of that decade. Um, I didn't think of Kentucky as this hardcore conservative place like Alabama or Idaho. Huh. Right. But it definitely has become that now. And uh I, I mean, I think maybe I, I think that you're probably right. It's it's hard for me to believe that the majority of Kentuckians are, you know, hardcore anti-abortion uh, people, but they also just don't seem to really oppose that kind of political and religious view. And I think there are a great many Kentuckians who are closet religious freaks. And so to that extent, I think that they sympathize with the hardcore abor- anti-abortion freaks. I mean, they certainly, they certainly love Mitch McConnell, right? right? I mean, yeah. there's no yeah. sense at all that, that, that Kentuckians across the state are, are sick of Mitch McConnell and they don't believe in him yeah. anymore. So, uh, how about, uh, have you seen anything from Trump slash Biden? Uh, well, the, uh, the Biden ads that I've seen are, uh, are pretty, uh, generic. I mean, Biden talks about the good things that he's going to do to improve America, like create jobs and keep jobs from going overseas. Um, and as far as the Trump, the Trump ones go, uh, they're basically just, you know, Trump draped in the flag and he's been a great leader. I, I guess I haven't seen that many of the, of the Trump Biden yeah. as it, it's mainly guess, been more McConnell. Yeah, I guess and, because we're um, not a swing state. I mean, why would they, we're so right, red, I mean, we're so red for whatever reason that uh, they're not even wasting much money on it. Well, I think a better way to characterize uh, Kentucky and most of America is, you know, rather than say that it's pervasively anti-abortion, I would just say that it's belligerent. I think most of America is really belligerent, and that accounts for Trump's popularity. It also accounts for why the Democrats would so just resoundingly reject Bernie Sanders, who was a, a... campaign of compassion like you know we we should have universal health care you know we should have a more equitable distribution of wealth uh tuition free college you know we should demilitarize our um our country and our and our budget um that those uh those kinds of, uh, of of politics i think are are more unpopular than they've ever been. 
All right, we're getting short on time. Let's, uh, let's do our stats. But uh, one, one thing uh, before we get to the stats and the predictions that I just wanted to follow up on is I think the reason that America's response to the pandemic has been so poorly motivated is that the the respo- responding to a pandemic is all about saving lives, right? It's about helping other people. Whereas the response to 9-11 is you get to go out and kill people. And the response to 9-11 was super high motivation. I mean, everybody wanted to go to war. Everybody was painting their barns and their fences red, white, and blue. Um, you know, Walmart and other places that, were, that sold American flags were selling out of American flags. So if the, if the response is, all right, we get to go out and kill people, you see Americans come together. You see them unified and highly motivated. But when the, when the response is, we need to save lives, we need to save people, we don't want people to suffer and get sick, the motivation is non-existent. I mean, people just are not, it's not interesting to them to do that. Which is consistent with the idea that uh, the anti-abortion movement is total hypocrisy, right? I mean, these people pretend to be pro-life, but as soon as a baby is born, life is completely cheap and worthless. I mean, you don't care if people live in poverty, you don't care if they're homeless, you don't care if they starve to death, you don't care if they're uh, a slave uh, making no money, you don't care if, if wars start and you have refugee camps, like the one in Lesbos, Greece that burned down. <laughs> like these people have been you know, migrants and war refugees, and then they're living in a pandemic, having to be a refugee, living in a refugee camp during a pandemic, and then it burns down. <laughs> right, so um, okay. among the fact that I think that the pro-life movement is, uh, is totally misogynistic and anti-woman and anti-sexuality, uh, uh, it's it's definitely hypocritical in that it's a bunch of people who I think despise a human existence, uh, but that precious baby is the is the perfect image so that they can hide their uh, their contempt for human existence. So I just had to get that in there. All right, so the stats are just turned to one ninety five thousand deaths. Oh, really? I thought it was just 190 like a couple of days ago. Yeah, so it's up 6.5K from last week. And then I think the week before it was just 5,000. 5.5, so yeah. It's, uh, it's a one, that's a plus 1,000 increase. Well, I think I said last week that the, that the numbers of, of deaths were going to go up mm-hmm. uh, after Labor you're, Day. Yeah, you, you've got... Uh, Predictions going up 21st September plus 10K at that point. So you've still got uh, a week for that to come true. So by next week, but by next week, it needs to be over 200,000, right? 
Uh, well, you said plus 10K, so it need to be 205. Oh, just for the... <laughs> okay, well, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, that's... yeah. It may not get quite to that, but I bet it gets close. Yeah, I'm curious to see. That's a, that's a good prediction. And as far as long-term predictions, um, I'm still sticking with uh, Trump wins um, to the Electoral College, of course. I very much doubt he would get ahead on the popular, but uh, I mean, I'm not seeing anything. I mean, for instance, the Woodward bombshell, you know, things like that don't even seem to make a blip on anything. Um, I'm not seeing any movement on stuff, and I don't think Biden's numbers are worse than Hillary's uh, last time, so uh, it's not looking good for uh, Biden. Um, so that's my prediction there. Well, all right, man. Good pod. I'm going to predict that the Arizona Cardinals uh, <laughs> finally make the Super Bowl again. All right. Okay. Let me write the, that down. They, uh, they beat the um, the runner-up, the losers in the Super Bowl, the San Francisco 49ers. The whole country, of course, had to watch Tom Brady and uh, his debut with uh, Tampa Bay. And it was actually a pretty boring game uh, that I just watched uh, here and there. But then – uh, in, in San Francisco, uh, the Cardinals went on the road and, uh, and, and beat the 49ers. And uh, that's typical NFL uh, coverage where you, you only get to see a few of the same teams play all the time, no matter what, and other teams are, um, are, are, are ignored. Um, let's see, uh, what else? I'm going to stick with uh, the uh, it's going to be uh, that Biden will win, uh, but it'll be the last time a Democrat ever uh, wins the White House. And that will either have Donald Trump or Donald Trump Jr. be president in, in 2020. And I can kind of bring that full circle back to Assange, which is if America never wants to have an honest discussion about its warmongering and belligerence. Uh, it's never going to have a, a compelling or attractive political alternative to the status quo. And I think that things are, are so bad now that the kind of dithering, you know, phony compromise, bipartisan, you know, Obamacon politics that we're sure to get from Joe Biden, um, it'll just, uh, the, the last breath of air will be exhausted from the Democratic Party, and, and they will basically But I think we both agree. I mean, Donald Trump will uh, will be president for another four years. You're saying it'll be 2020 to 2024. I'm saying it'll be 2024 to 2028. Indeed. Okay, man, take us out. This has been Dr. Dave Overby for the Oblivion podcast, along with my co-host, David Miller. We want to thank you for listening, and we will see you next week for the Oblivion podcast. Later.